But before we get started, uh, there's a quote that I've heard and read uh, by a couple different authors and speakers, uh, and I've heard it said a couple different ways, but, but to the same end, that if you are still breathing, God's not done with you. Do you, do you believe that? Like, if there's breath in your lungs, you are, God's not done with you. And so what I want to do is find someone next to you, give them a little fist bump, high five, whatever. If you don't know each other, exchange names. Names, not numbers. It's not that kind of service. <laughs> and after you do that, look, at, look them straight in the eyes and tell them God's not done with you. Second service, I heard a couple people say, God might be done with you, but like, that's, that's not the message we want to we wanna say. But this morning, I want to take a look at the transformation of a demon-possessed man. And I, I got there because Josh asked me to, to speak today, and it was going to kind of be a standalone message in between two series, and he asked me to speak on the topic of discipleship. So you'd be like, demon-possessed discipleship. But so I prayed and I prayed and I kept feeling God put this passage on my heart in Mark chapter 5. And and it's a passage that many of us might be familiar with. It's a passage where Jesus casts out thousands of demons from one man, puts them into thousands of pigs. The pigs go crazy, jump off a cliff, and drown. Discipleship, (laughs) right? (laughs) And we actually almost called today's sermon Discipleship According to a Demon-Possessed Man. Because when it comes to discipling others, leading others to follow Jesus. I think we don't do it because we don't know how or we don't feel qualified. And so this morning, we named this this sermon Conditions and Circumstances because that's what I want you to walk away with this morning, a better understanding of your condition and your circumstance. For those of you who don't know my first job out of college was actually as a youth pastor in Cairo, Egypt, which was awesome, a life-changing experience. But after I was there for about six months, a big thing started happening in the country. The Arab Spring was beginning, and the Egyptian Revolution was starting. And so uh, the pastoral staff came to me. He's like, GJ, uh, I know things are starting to get a little hairy. We're not sure what's going to happen. But if you want to go home, like that's fine. Like We want you to be safe, feel safe. So, so if you feel like you need to leave, that's fine. And so I went home and I prayed about it. And I, I really felt God saying, no, Gigi, I, I want you to stay. And so the next morning I get up, I was living with a host family at the time and they began talking and think that night kind of things progressed even further. And they're talking like, GJ, we might get uh, mandatory, mandatorily evacuated. Is that how you say that? Uh, and we've talked to our company and we would we could be able to bring you under our wing, accept you as our, our child and we can get you to Dallas for free. And I was like, God, like, you just said to stay. Am I, like, mixing signals here? So I prayed again, and God, like, no, I want you, I want you to stay, stay there. And so over the course of that day, uh, the revolution really broke out. There's tanks on the street. Police are gone. Um, and it's just, just mass chaos. And so the church reaches out. It's like, hey, uh, we've talked, and we'd be willing to pay for a whole ticket to get you back home to Detroit. And so I'm just like, all right, God, what, what are you trying to do? And... and um, again, I felt God say, no, stay. And, and I think God was talking to me, and I was wrestling with, with a much deeper theological question than I really understood at the time. But the question I want all of us 
to wrestle with this morning is, am I more concerned about God rescuing me from a situation instead of being used in a situation? And and I think that that example is a very physical representation, like G.J. getting evacuated out of a revolution. But, But I think there are circumstances in our life that we would love to be rescued from. Sicknesses, just seasons in life, anxiety, relationships, wanting to be fixed. And we just ask, God, get me out of here. But what I want to look at this morning is sometimes God takes your condition, changes your condition, but keeps you in your circumstance. Sometimes God changes your heart and your attitude and keeps you in your circumstance so you can bring the change that he wants to bring to that. And so let's take a look at how Jesus changed the condition of a demon-possessed man so that he could change his circumstance and be used in his circumstance. So as we dive into God's authoritative word, will you take just a second to, to humbly prepare our hearts before God? Jesus, I just pray that you, well, first, just thank you for who you are, what you do, and how you love us. God, I pray that you speak this morning, that you move, that you open our hearts and our eyes to see the things that we need to change. God, if there's something we're holding on to, an attitude, a, a position that we're holding on to, God, that we need to let go, begin to loosen our grip. Jesus, have your way. It's in your powerful name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So this morning we'll be in the book of Mark, which was a book written by Mark. Uh, and Mark is one, one of the, the books in the Bible. Uh, it's known as one of the Gospels. And the Gospels are a collection of four books written by four different disciples of Jesus, kind of talking about the life and ministry of Jesus. And what I love about the different Gospels is each of them kind of focus on a different theme of Jesus' life. And Mark's major theme is authority. And, and by, by authority, Jesus in this, in this book shows authority over demons, over nature, over sickness and disease, and even over death itself. And so we're jumping in in chapter 5 in Mark in the middle of a couple of these different examples of Jesus' authority. And so if you would, turn, or uh, the verses will also be on the screen. But I'm a, I like to read from the physical book. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes when Jesus got out of the boat. A man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. It's a little bit of foreshadowing, because someone is. Um, (laughs) Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. You see, the goal of the devil is to destroy the image of God. And because Satan can't touch God, and when I say can't touch, I mean that there's no chance that he can because I think sometimes we can think of God and Satan as a a yin and yang, good versus evil. Um, 
a Bruce Lee versus Chuck Norris. Like there's this, this battle of two people that are, that are pretty equal in ability. But that's not the case. We have God and we have Satan. And if Satan can't destroy God himself, he's going to attack the image of God, which is you and me. Because we are created in the image of God. And so Satan attacks this man in this situation with self-destructive tendencies by cutting himself with shame and guilt by making him roam naked in social isolation, which Satan loves because he loves when we feel alone and isolated. We are warned in other places in Scripture to be on the lookout for Satan. John 10.10, the thief, Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And then I, being Jesus here, have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Also in 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffrage. Are you on guard? Or are you allowing Satan to get that foothold? And what we see in this, in this story in Mark is that these demons have a pretty good thing going. They've got control of this man, probably good, good control over the city, but just by fear alone. Because obviously people in the city tried to like, anchor them down with chains that he was able to break out of. And so the city itself knew this man, were scared of this man, and isolated him out into the tomb so he could live with the dead. And so they see Jesus in the distance and they run to meet him to try to interfere with his plans. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus has said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. In Luke's account of the same story in Luke chapter 8, we read that the demons ask, not just don't torture me, but don't send me to the bottomless pit, which in Revelation 9, it talks about the end of judgment, where Satan and all of his followers will be cast into the bottomless pit. And so they were aware of who Jesus was, his authority over them, and they begged, please don't torture me. But what sticks out to me in these short couple of verses is that the very presence of God shines light into the darkness of evil deeds. And when darkness is revealed, our natural response is either surrender or anger. It's either, here's my heart, God, or get out of my life. Why are you interfering with what I have? So when God's truth, his light reveals darkness in my heart, what is your response? Ephesians 5, specifically 8 through 20, is a great section, and I encourage you to, to go, go home and read that fuller section. But for the sake of time, we're just going to focus on four shorter verses within that. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, 11 to 14, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of the darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. 
There's one time shortly after I got my license, I was a, I was too cool for school kid and uh, it was late in the evening and I just wanted something to eat. And I've always had a secret spot in my heart and my stomach for McDonald's. And so it was, it was getting late, go to McDonald's, get myself a burger, fries and Coke, and I'm driving home and I'm thinking this is cool. I'm in the car by myself, drinking Coke, eating fries. And one of the streets in my subdivision uh, leading to my parents' house kind of had this slight turn to the left. And I knew it was coming. I'd driven it a couple times before myself. And I think I have just those couple extra seconds to get that extra grab of French fry. I didn't. Because by the time I got to the, the handle, my hand slipped because a little bit of the grease. Bang, hit the curb. Ran right into a no parking sign here. And lost the hubcap in the process. And I'm like two turns away from my house, though. So I'm like, I'll just get home and figure it out then. But even by the first turn flat tire, like done. So it was like, I get home, I run inside and I'm like, dad, I hit this huge pothole. Um, and, uh, I think the tire might be going flat. And he's like, Oh man, well, we'll check it out in the morning. And so I thought I was like, good job, GJ. So we wake up and while the sun's out, the sun tells a different story because there is now a huge dent in the front bumper. The tire is not like pothole damaged. It's like cut by something like that, a cut and that like completely gone, can't be saved. And my dad kind of like calls me outside and he's like, GJ, um, a pothole? And it was huge. And I just walked back inside. I couldn't. And what's even funnier is my parents were here for the first service, and I had never confessed that to them. And so I had to, like, avoid that section for a couple minutes and just... Uh, but what was funny is my dad walked up to me afterwards, and he's like, yeah, I remember. <laughs> but what bothered him the most is that I wasn't... I was too afraid to go with him, to, to confess that to him. And it was even in that short exchange that, that I realized how often do we do that with God? We know that he knows, but there's, there's a fear inside of us that keeps us from moving forward. In the dark, I thought I was in the clear. But in the morning, the light revealed what I was trying to hide in the darkness. So let's continue in Mark chapter 5, verse 9. Then Jesus asked him, and I love this question, What is your name? And the demon responds, my name is Legion. He replied, for we are many. Legion being a Roman military term, that means up to 6,000 soldiers. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area, not to send them into that bottomless pit. But I love, I love this question, what is your name? For a couple of reasons. One, Jesus didn't need to ask any questions. Jesus is Jesus. He knows, Right? But I believe he's asking one so, so his disciples and anyone within earshot can understand what's really happening here. That this man is not just some crazy lunatic who likes to do weird things, but that there's something deeper. That there, there is a war being waged for his soul and for our souls. That Satan is not just real, but he's on the attack. He's on the offense. And he wanted to, dis, to display that it doesn't matter how many demons Satan throws at him that Jesus has authority over them. But the second reason, and I can't help but wonder if, if Jesus, in that question, what's your name? He's trying to not talk to the demons, but reach through and talk to the man. 
and asks this man, what's your name? Because I think in that moment, there's a lot of shame with the things he's done. There's a lot of guilt in his past, what, what, what these demons have made him do. And maybe he's unable to see his true identity because of what he's done. And I wonder how many of us here are, are facing those same demons. And I'm not, not saying that you're demon-possessed. But I'm saying sometimes our identity can be in our demons of the past. That who I am is my mistakes, my failures. But Jesus is saying, if you find your identity in me, I am greater than those mistakes. I am greater than those failures. John 3.17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, to point his finger and judge the world, but he sent him to save the world through him, to break the chains that are holding us back if we would just claim our identity in Christ. Continuing on in verse 11, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And so Jesus gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, which was about 2,000 pigs in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and were drowned. And at first glance, I think, I think we see this kind of as, as a panic moment of the demons. Like, okay, we're getting cast out of this man, but we don't want to go into this bottomless, bottomless pit, so let's um, um, find the first thing that's moving. Cast us into those pigs. Yeah, the pigs. That seems like a good idea. But the demons were a lot more crafty than that. They realized that in that moment, that they can no longer destroy the image of God, but they could still attack the relationship between us and God. Because again, the goal of the devil is to destroy the image of God. But if he can't do that, he'll come after our relationship. And he comes after our relationship often by where we hold our value. This legion of demons knew that these people valued these pigs. Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee into a Gentile territory, which would have been very Hellenistic in culture and had a great, greater value in pigs. Jews can't touch pigs. Greeks didn't have that. They loved bacon. I side with the, uh, the Gentiles there. Um, but the pigs were just more than just food for these people. They were their livelihood, how they made money. But it was also one of the main animals they used as sacrifices to worship their gods. And so these demons were going, we can't control this guy anymore, but we're going to attack what they value, what they hold on to, and we're going to break the interaction with them and Jesus and be a distraction. So continuing in verse 14, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. I think when we have a real encounter with Christ, fear often is the response. I think it's a very natural response. When, when you're dealing with, with an all-powerful God, and it reveals your very limited power self, the natural response is to fall to your knees in fear. But again, our response in that moment is to either surrender or to get angry. 
And we see that the Gentiles choose to get angry. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told them about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. You see, because we are most vulnerable where we place the most value. And the risk of losing what you value can interfere with how you interact with Christ. And that's exactly what happens with the Gentiles. They plead Jesus to leave, and Jesus doesn't force himself on anyone. He leaves that choice to you. And so in verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus did not let him and said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. The demons didn't want to go, and the man didn't want to stay. And, and it's easy to kind of understand why. Here's a man that would have been known by most of the town, if not all the town, as a crazy, lunatic, demon-possessed man who probably burned as many bridges as possible affected, ruined as many relationships as possible, isolated himself, and now on top of that would be associated with this whole city losing what they most valued. So Jesus, you saved me. I'm grateful. Where can I go to get a fresh start? But Jesus doesn't say that to the man. He tells that man, no, I want you to go back. Go back to your family and friends who, who probably don't want to associate with you, but at the very least are, have mixed feelings about that, to neighbors who are going to hate you, to a place that's going to constantly remind you of who you were. But I want you to remember who you are. And I want you to share what God has done in you. Sometimes... God will change our condition and keep us in our circumstance. I think sometimes we want to be rescued from our circumstance because we, we tend to separate the difference between God having my heart and God having my life. Those aren't two different things. Those are one and the same. And if God has all of you, then sometimes God chooses not to rescue you from, but to use you in. There are times when Christ asks you and gives you the faith to go. Look at Mark chapter 2 when he's calling his disciples, asking his disciples to leave everything they knew and come follow him. I almost went for a dive there. Um, but sometimes, sometimes he gives you the faith to go, but sometimes he gives you the grace you need to stay. And to help me share one example of what this might look like, I'm going to invite my wife, Ange, to come up and share how God has been using the change in her condition to impact, change her circumstance. Hello, everyone. Hey. Um, I'm really excited to be up here, um, but to be completely honest, this is not natural for me at all. So, um, uh, But I really felt like God 
challenged me to step out of my comfort zone and say yes uh, when GJ asked me to join him on stage. Um, so I said yes before I knew what I was saying yes to, um, which is always fun. Uh, and so I said, hey, GJ, what do you want me to share? What do you want me to talk about? And he said, oh, you know, how you're just going through a really difficult season in your life. And I said, oh, fun, how awesome. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, I do feel like God has me right where I'm at, like placed in this room, but also in the season of my life for a reason. Um, and my prayer has just been that he continues to use me through this. Um, so yeah, I've been going through a difficult time um, and season in my life. Um, it's been a season where I've struggled with some pretty heavy anxiety and depression. Um, and if I'm going to be completely honest, I feel like I got in my own head a lot, even when GJ asked me to join him. And my first thoughts were, you know, what on earth do I have to say? You know, what do I have to share? God, how can God possibly use me right now when I feel like I am such a mess? You know, when I feel like most days I'm falling apart. Um, and admitting that is even hard because I'm someone that likes to have it all together all the time. And, you know, for me, I grew up going to church. I got saved when I was seven or eight years old. And now even I'm a pastor's wife. You know, I shouldn't feel this way. I shouldn't be holding on to these um, feelings and these emotions. And for so long, I've defined strength and being strong as just kind of pushing past those feelings and those emotions. Um, you know, pushing past hurt, pushing past pain, pushing past anxiety, pushing past depression, and just, you know, move forward, move forward. And for me, I feel like this is a season where God's kind of stopped me in my tracks and is like, nope, like I want you to, I want you to stay here and I want you to work through this and I want you to figure out what's going on. Um, you know, it's easy to say, and I do this, you know, God's got this, but I'm strong. He's made me strong. I can help him. You know, my life is a little bit messy, um, but I'm going to clean it up a little bit way before he'll ever want to use me. You know, he can't use me like this. He's not, he doesn't want to use me like this. Um, but I think we're missing the point if we feel like God can only use us when we're at our best. You know, of course he uses us when we're at our best, but I think we're missing it if we think he only wants to. Um, for someone that likes to have it all together, it's been interesting to see how God's used me in this season. Um, I've been just trying to keep an eye and ask him, you know, search my heart, God, what do you want from me in this season? How can you, how can you use me? Um, and he's formed, like, he's formed new relationships in my life and friendships that have been so encouraging, but there's also room in those relationships to challenge each other and to encourage each other. Um, he's placed people in my life who are going through the same thing. And that alone has been so helpful for me to realize, like, I'm not alone in this. Um, other people aren't alone in this. And to speak into those people's lives to, to remind them, you know, you're not alone. Um, and he's also allowed me to speak into the lives of other people, too. You know, opportunities like this, which I would have never probably committed to if I wasn't actively seeking what he wants me to be doing in my life. Um, you know, these are the moments that GJ kind of talked about a minute ago where I want to just be rescued from them. Like, hey, God, it's hard. I like it. Take me away from this. You know, just make it better. And I think in these moments, he's said, I want you to stay. Um, it's weird. It's a weird feeling because I feel like it's been difficult, but it's also been rewarding because I feel like I can feel him changing my heart and moving and working and challenging me. Um, in Matthew 
11:28 is a verse I want to read with you guys. It says, "Come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest." You know, for me and maybe for you too, I like to add a fill in the blank here. I like it to say, you know, come to me once you've cleaned up your life a little bit, and that's when I'll give you that rest. You know, come to me once you get rid of that shame and you figure out that fear and that doubt, and that's when I'm going to I'm going to provide that place of rest for you. But the beauty in this is that there isn't a fill in the blank. And that's what God keeps reminding me over and over again is he just simply calls for us to come and that's when he's going to meet us and that's when he's going to provide that place. Um, you know, the messages over the last few months have been great for me as a reminder that God's not just going to remove us from these um, these storms or these conditions, um, he's going to be right there next to us and he's going to be leading us through these, these moments. And these, these difficult moments and seasons are what make us who we are. And they're our story to share with other people who may need someone to relate to. Um, so lately my common question to GJ, which he's probably sick of is, um, am I ever going to feel normal again? And I had this realization this week that maybe my definition of normal isn't what God wants for me. I was like, whoa, maybe, maybe his definition of normal, he's trying to redefine that in my life. Maybe if I just learn to trust him a little bit more, his version of normal is so much better than anything I could come up with on my own. One last scripture I kind of want to share with you guys. I want to bring um, Romans 12, 2. It says... Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And this has been my prayer lately, um, for God to search my heart. I want him to renew and to restore. And praying this prayer is not fun and it's not easy, but it's so worth it. Um, I want to follow his plans, not my own. And his plans are good and pleasing and perfect. So change is hard. Working on your heart is hard. Acknowledging, at least for me, maybe I'm the only one, uh, acknowledging that I have some resentment and bitterness that he wants to work through is not fun. Um, And it's an everyday decision. And so every single day, I have to choose to praise him and to seek him even when I'm in the middle. Thank you. So if you're still breathing, God's not done with you yet. For some of us, God wants to speak to your condition so that he can use you in your circumstance. But I think some of us, we we so desperately want to be rescued from our circumstance. God, if you just heal me from this sickness. God, if you just fix this relationship, God, if you just take me away from this pain, then I will give you everything. But God's asking for your everything now. God and discipleship at its core is allowing God to work in you so that he can work through you. And sometimes working through you is sharing what God has done in you. And that's what we see with this ex-demon-possessed man. He's able to share the hope 
that God has restored in him. 1 Corinthians 11.1, follow me as I follow Christ. Or in another translation, imitate me as I imitate Christ. People need real stories. People need to see change in people they know. People need to hear those stories from you. So this morning I want to ask, what's your jerusalem? What what are those circumstances you're trying to run from because of the pain that you're scared of in that? And how can God change your condition to be used in your circumstance? Are you willing to go back?